I totally just lost my train of thought. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a thousand tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and LA bid on Ruby developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average Ruby developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them, but if you use the Ruby Rogues link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Ruby Rogues Podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 276 of the Ruby Rogues Podcast. This week on our panel, we have Jessica Kerr. Good morning. Sam Livingston Gray. Oh, we're doing this now, are we? I'm Charles Maxwood <laughs> from devchat.tv. Check out railsremoteconf.com. We also have a special guest this week, and that's Kenzie Connor. Hi. Nice to, well, not meet you all, but talk at y'all. Well, I guess I'm meeting you three, but <laughs> except I already know Sam and Jessica. Have we ever have we met Chuck? I don't think so. We might have. I, I make it <clears throat> to so many conferences in a year that it's possible. But uh, I'm, I'm more of a former conference goer. I'm getting back out there. That whole running a business thing doesn't always mean you go to all the tech conferences anymore. Boy, don't I know it. It's just, yeah, I've had a few people invite me out to them, and then I, yeah. I'm bad yeah. at saying no. Ah, uh, yes. I'm, I'm needing to get back to more and figure out, I'm needing to figure out a new range of talks that are more like sort of management or sort of like, given I don't do most of the day-to-day coding anymore, and like the audience sort of I should be interacting with since as the head of a consultancy, I do a lot of sales in addition to hiring. I do need to figure out some sort of, hey, you're a manager now when you used to be an engineer. What's that like style talks? Gotcha. In fact, why don't you give us a quick introduction so people know who yep. you are? Yep. I am Kenzie Connor. I used to be formerly known as Timocratic Online before I transitioned, which I was more known in the Ruby space as. Um, I started developing professionally around 2000. And in 2005, we discovered Rails and had done Java.net, just started Classic ASP, PHP, Python, um, a couple other things that were all awful. And so Rails came out of the scene in little 1.0 and we're like, oh my god, this is so much better than all the other ways we're doing it. So it went sort of all in on it since then. So. In some ways, I'm a little bit of a, a crusty old hand in the Ruby space. And then even worse in front end, because if you had to deal with generation four browsers, you just shouldn't write front end anymore. Because I'll just be, oh, we have to do all these things. And everyone's like, no, no, we don't anymore. <laughs> um, but yeah, so now I run a, so as a former engineer, I now run a consultancy, Cloud City, that we do dev and design for web and mobile. Um, so pretty much everything you would need to get an app shipped with a pretty big focus actually on that, on the design and development that does integrate well is, is super high priority. Um, I have spent some time at other well-known consultancies and usually, usually you either have a design firm, which does great design that no one can build anything practical out of, or an engineering firm that like 
slices, does XP, slices features down to their smallest set and sort of ruins the overall product idea. So try to remerge those back and the sort of age of Lean UX is part of why I restarted my consultancy in 2010. Gotcha. So uh, when we were talking about topics, and I think this leads right in, you know, with your introduction, um, one that you suggested was the challenges of sustainability and hiring in a senior obsessed field, mm -hmm. especially during the glut of boot camp grads. I'm just reading this right out of the email amidst companies that don't know how to do mentorship. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that there's a whole lot more there, but let's just start with that. Okay, the irony of that one for me is as a consultancy, I can't help as much as I thought I would be able to because there's just, oh, I'm getting mic noise. Uh, okay, let's see if that's a little better. Is that any better, Sam? Yep. Okay. Yes, thank you. Um, I wish I had a boom mic. I usually do. Anyways, where was I? So, yeah, as running a consultancy, I used to try to hire juniors and train them up and, like, have a broader range of skill set. The economics just aren't there because our clients are ending up paying us to train someone. And I've actually had this argument with a number of consultancy owners that I think it's unethical, on the edge of unethical at least, to charge someone for your juniors because you understand the difference between junior and senior when it comes to an hourly bill rate and efficiency in a way they don't. So you know, hey, you're paying half as much for this person, but you're getting one-fifth the overall say, productivity. That's a bad value for you as the client. Which is heartbreaking for me because I do so firmly believe the field isn't like super sustainable and your hiring and your company are better if you can bring in more juniors. So I haven't yet cracked how to do that at a like senior boutique level consultancy. Like we, had, we believe in mentorship and we bring up people whenever we can. A lot of the clients since we've been doing Rails forever come to us because we know how to scale and build out Rails apps at massive scale. Like the maintainer bundler works for us. We, we solve those sort of problems. But if one were at a product company, there would be absolutely no reason actually to take a much different approach because there's a difference when you're investing in training your own people. It's and, funny that you've mentioned that though, because my first development job full-time, mm -hmm. I had been developing for maybe a year at my previous job, but it wasn't my full-time job. My full-time job was running tech support and then doing QA. Mm -hmm. um, but my first full-time development job was at a consultancy, and I was billed out to clients for a year yep. and a half. Yep. Uh, I have been there. That's how I got started. Uh, San Francisco is significantly more competitive than Utah, where I got started, is part of it. Mm -hmm. um, once you are established, like once your company is established based on senior San Francisco rates and a whole bunch of other factors, it's hard to do otherwise. Um, and... I feel that the company, one of the companies that was charging me out as a senior when I had a year's experience was exceedingly unethical in doing so. I meant right. if you do a value sale of, hey, this is, yes, if the person has agreed, if they've agreed to, we're building this thing in this amount of time and like what's the value to you, that's a different thing. But right. in places that are doing time and material and you're saying, hey, this is how much someone is worth, if you're, if you are pretending like, your process is good enough that the end results of the client is the same for someone with 15 years and six months experience and billing them out the same. I just have qualms about the ethics of that and the f effect it has on your good name over time. So that's fair. It is easier. I, I used to make the pitch because I believed in it that you could do a mixed rate like blend of junior and senior, but 
I just feel the value for our clients would be better if they hire the junior and we train them up because then they're if they're investing in someone that'll turn around long term, they're sort of getting the benefit of that. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. I like yeah. that. Because at the end of the day, everyone's like, well, what about availability? Like, yeah, if I as a consultancy can't find enough seniors, it's not on you to subsidize my juniors because of my inability to hire them. Like, then you should go find another consultancy also that has more seniors. So you made a pretty compelling case, I think, for uh, the pressures against uh, hiring juniors in a consultancy. Mm-hmm. Um, but in your email, when we were talking about a subject, you said you used the phrase senior obsessed field, um, yes. which I've certainly seen as well. I love that phrase. Um, why do you think uh, that the field overall is like so set on hiring senior folks? I will add in the, another little tidbit there, which is that that also factors into why I have trouble in a consultancy because I have to play to my clients' biases and expectations. And I have noticed that if they don't believe someone can do something and start questioning something, then you might as well end that part of the engagement because at every step along the way, they won't feel they're getting the value and they'll doubt them. And I've watched this happen to very senior people of ours. Like if there's anything in a mishmash of like client expectations. So that factors in. Why is the field that way though? Um... Well, what do you think it is that way? Because as much as the 10x stuff is nonsense, the 10x engineering thing, at the end of the day, if you're engineering large solutions, all other things being equal, and you're in a capitalist system, it is a better value to employ the senior if you're looking at pure productivity. The senior like, is going to... A senior who is barely twice as expensive as a junior for engineering like systems and scales is going to be significantly more than twice as productive. There are costs on your company towards culture and sustainability and how you build something at scale, but when you're at the tiny scale of I hire one person, hire the most expensive person you can. I have to ask, because you keep yeah. saying sustainability, but I'm not sure what you mean by that. I've heard I several people the, talk about different things there. So um, I meant when I mentioned that, that there's a big difference between, yeah, I'm hiring one engineer and trying to build a system and obviously have to fit within my budget, and I need to worry about when I'm hiring 100 engineers. Like the long-term life of a non, not just a startup who just has to make just the next round, but like if you're trying to build a company over long-term, then you have to start like worrying about your own internal funnel and sort of what happens with fluctuations in the market of hiring and what happens when you are losing talent because of any number of cultural reasons due to your lack of diversity, et cetera. So I do think you build a stronger company if you don't fall into some of these traps. But as I in that senior and... Oh. Sorry. So as a larger company, you don't want all your knowledge in only a few people because that's risky? Um, because it's risky, because it limits who you can hire, which puts you at a disadvantage on hiring. Because when you have a gap between 10-plus-year people and six-month people, you don't even remember how to train them up often anymore. And if you're in a field that confuses quarterbacks and coaches, as I like to call it, where we're like, who needs management? <laughs> who needs to know a mentorship? You are a tech lead, therefore you don't train people. You have this really bad problem training them up, and now all of a sudden, not only is it your economically optimal choice to hire the senior, it's the only person you can hire. And if you're running the capacity of management now, you don't have the management overhead to bring on and train up juniors without, like, if, you're, if your company is this growing because it needs more engineering to get more features done, and which means it's managing to keep itself running, it often then now doesn't have the room for change without massive reorganization to be like, let's graft on 
how a bunch of people that don't yet operate quite the same way that we have to like train and, and it, yeah, just you, it takes a cost to bring up anyone up to a certain like level of training, like training and education takes time. And you have to have people that actually spend the time doing that because if you, a small percentage of people as juniors thrown at a problem with absolutely no help and given impossible requirements will succeed. And many of us in the field are people that did that. That is one-off solutions that don't work in mass. And too often we try to look at like, oh, hey, this person did it, therefore that's what you should do. You're like, yeah, that's not very scalable. Yeah, the, um, the quip that I saw on Twitter recently was um, when, when people, successful people give advice, uh, what this person said they hear is, here are the lottery numbers that worked for me. <laughs> oh, that's in our field. It's all lottery ticket thinking. I meant, look at Paul Graham spending years telling us that the reason he was successful was Lisp. I meant, yes, being able to make the technical choices he wanted that he was comfortable with that allowed him to be productive was part of what made him successful. But replicating his choices at a different time as a different person obviously doesn't have the same results. And every person I've talked to has been successful has had a mix of useful advice and lottery ticket thinking they didn't notice. Even when they operate similar businesses. When I'm like, oh, you were faking this and figuring it out the same as anyone else. And now some <laughs> of how the things you did are codified into your self story about why you're successful. So, so how do we get around this then? I mean, I think we see the problem, mm -hmm. but, but is there a solution? Are we still figuring it out? Um, I think some companies have done no problem. I mean, as a consultant, I see all the worst failure cases often because I'm brought in. when You get to pick up the pieces. Right. Please yeah. come fix it. And sometimes the best case is, hey, we're really well organized. We just need some more engineering help. Some small fraction of the time that is utterly true and they're growing fast and they just need us to throw muscles at stuff. Usually, well, mental muscles. Usually the problem is, hey, we have a... We have a C-level problem, which filters down to a strategy problem, which is affecting our hiring and our retention, which means we need more people. Like, rarely is we can't hire enough people not actually a sign of something else wrong. Um, but I've talked to someone who had an 80-person engineering team that no single method of the engineering team was hired from outside. They were all trained internally. There are downsides to that of your engineering culture has too few inputs of other range of experience but like they were successful and productive at what they did um everything's trade-offs my point being though to them it was just since they grew since their whole team came up sort of separate from the rest of the culture that we're probably more used to startup than other like ruby and etc land it just didn't seem like an odd thing to them that they would have trained all their seniors up from ground zero as doing something else. Um, but yeah, you build a company that has a wide range of experiences and build in a cultural mentorship and training. I mean, these are things we do anyways. We just can't as often as I would like employ a wider, hire a wider range of people via being able to hire more juniors. Um, but at a product company, even more so. If, if you can get out of what do I need to do this sprint in this quarter thinking, your culture is of hiring in every other way of everyone being happy there is better off with a little more diversity. I mean, which includes of experience and range of years in the field and every other diversity you can think of. I mean, there are just enough studies on 
you will make more profit in less time with increased diversity because your your team will be more creative to that people can shoot for that as a goal for no other reason. Um, but it's also just such a hiring advantage to be able to pick up talent that other people aren't. So, like, how do you get out of some of those traps? It's similar to the problem with becoming an engineer, becoming a manager. If you are your best engineer and then you become a manager, for some period of time, everyone else is incompetent in your head. Because in technical competence sense, they haven't acquired some of the skills you had. <laughs> and how do you manage? And we, we valorize competence such that anything that registers off into like engineering brain is incompetent is like a problem to be routed around. Where humans are humans and there's a range of things and you have not done your job yet in training other people have to replace you probably. But, and you haven't even figured out what your job is, likely. Yes. And so how do you manage then with people that will solve things in a different way that might actually be a better way, but till you will register is not how you used to solve that. Um, so yeah, you need to build a, you need to build into the core of your company sort of difference of opinion and collaboration and diversity and mentorship and room for like good management in general, room for making mistakes and having people's back and building a culture of trust and just all of your problems with hiring and diversity go away if you make your company run great in a way that everyone will like. <laughs> like, Yeah, not, but, but that feels like a little bit of a pipe dream is having a company that everyone will like to work in. Well, I met everyone that works at your company already. Like the the thing is, is the people you can't hire are canaries, and you like in your company you can get by because of whatever reasons got you there, and you may not know some other problems because they don't affect you. But like the whatever whoever's having a hard time making it in your company, whether it's the junior or like the big problem that everyone talks about lately, and is like say gender and racial diversity, all of these things. The things that are impacting them are often impacting everyone else the other people just are cushioned enough from it to not notice it so it's not like improving your company is a negative yes it's a time trade-off like what can you do but all my take is usually hey take a bunch of steps to make your company better in every way and you'll naturally have a better pool of candidates which will naturally have a wider range of diversity yeah, when they lined it recitals for violins gender went to 50 50 for first chair so one thing that I'm seeing here, though, is that um, I totally just lost my train of thought. Sorry, I'm good at that. No, it's fine. It, no, what I was going to say is that, um, you know, the advice to make your company better in every way, it just seems like it's a little bit hard to know yes. what what do you mean in every way? You know, where do I start? Are, are there specific things I can do that are going to make it better? That and, was a tongue-in-cheek phrasing. I'm sorry. Right. But at the same time, I mean... You know, it, let's say that I have this problem. Let's say that I'm I'm sitting in a company, and I I'm thinking to myself, I need more people. You know, maybe it's I need I need more senior people. You know, I'm right in the middle of this trap, and so then I'm trying to figure out what do I do now? How do I how do I improve the company so that I can attract more people? How do I determine whether or not I can bring in new people? How do I decide who to bring in? How do I decide to reach these people? How do I, you know, there, there are a lot of things that it feels like we're talking about the problem, but we're not talking about specific solutions that somebody can go and implement in the company they're at so that they can actually solve some of these issues. 
I think Kenzie just said that a place to look for the problem is with the people you can't hire, okay. or types of people, categories of people, and with people who've left, or people who are there and not happy. That if you can make those people happy, recruitment problems <clears throat> just go away to some degree. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Basically, find your leaky feedback. I have a problem with my company, and we've fixed it as much as I can, and everyone does. Like, there are feedbacks you're, like, you're constantly as a manager working on improving, and there's feedback you're not getting. There's something someone in your company isn't comfortable telling you. There's a reason someone's leaving that you didn't quite discern the full scope of. And, like, every, every source of information you're not picking up from is probably, like, something you can improve. You have to prioritize. You can't do everything at the same time. Part of the job of management is there's too much to do. But if you're at the point of worrying about like growing your company and hiring, your priorities about retention should dwarf that. And like, we took a couple of years off to work somewhere else. A couple of people that have been with me have been with me for 13 years now uh -huh. at some variation of this company. Like, there's some great benefit to working with people that long. And if you can give people opportunity for growth and like solve a bunch of these things like it even in this field your like typical two-year churn rate goes down a lot so let's also, oh go ahead also the part where there's studies that show that the more diverse companies do more and make more money some of that is likely like the co-causation of when your company is an awesome place to work both people are more diverse and they get more done. So yeah. not only are you keeping people, but you're making everyone more productive at the same time when when people have that psychological safety. Yeah, and that translates into better recruitment too, because you know, I'm I personally maintain a list of companies that have done like awesome pro diversity things on the theory that if I ever find myself needing a job, I'm gonna check with them first. What what I'm interested in from what Jessica said is that does is diversity causal to getting more done and making more money, or is having an awesome company a cause of both? I think there's been. I think they're probably both. I think there. I would have to go double check on the research. I think there is some evidence for the diversity in of itself because there is some, or at least some suspicions that it has to do with the creativity of aligning more viewpoints. Mm -hmm. Of, um, I have discovered over time why like. Paul Graham suggests, or whichever one of them it is, suggests like higher clones essentially. Like you're you're just different in your, your roles and like otherwise have similar backgrounds. Cause the saying about if you want to go fast, go alone. And if you want to go far, go with others. And then I joke, if you want to go kind of far really fast, go with clones. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a management cost. Like collaboration is a trade-off. It is a cost. Yeah. Like it is easy to make a decision that everyone agrees on. You are losing information and creativity takes time and energy. And when you're in a business, it's all trade-offs. Yeah, I can tell you when I asked the question, it felt like it's probably both. Mm -hmm. Like there, there's probably evidence to support that diversity contributes to productivity. And there's mm -hmm. also probably evidence to support that having a great place to work contributes to both. Ooh, here's a causal one. Um, if you have a more diverse group, then people are more likely to talk about the things that are different about them and their different experiences. Whereas if you have a group with a lot of people with a lot in common, they tend to emphasize those commonalities in their conversation mm -hmm. and not the differences. And if you're looking for like different opinion or missing information that you can act on, like 
it's you got to treasure, and it can be hard emotionally. Sometimes you got to treasure every bit of information you can get about how things could be better in your company, and like it, it worked to create that culture, anyways. Um, so, but, but how do you do that? How do you get people to the point where they're going to tell you how you could make things better in your company? I mean, there are books on management and follow, like questions to ask, how to arrange things, the downsides of, like of, oh, open door only, like, being helpful to the people that know you well and trust you. Like, there's a, there's a whole field of management that we ignore in our field. Like, the, the, we all need to go take more management classes if we hear about management and read more books on it. Um, in short, like, the culture, by example, by sharing, by... Well, we're getting more of that yeah. noise off your mic. Okay, by, uh, by sharing openly and, like, setting an example and try and do, create a culture by example that that accepts feedback and makes people feel valued like it's very easy to accidentally shoot down feedback and then not notice that you just lost a whole bunch of information in any relationship much less when there's the power dynamic of like management um i i just did a training for toastmasters club officers and we were talking about values and leadership and I think that's what this comes down to in a lot of ways is that you recognize that you value those things. You value diversity. You value the feedback. You value the way that people communicate with you. And then um, you find ways to enact that. Mm-hmm. So you go out of your way to demonstrate that you have that. And then you teach the people that maybe are below you to have that same sort of um, open empathy mm-hmm. for everybody else. And you create yeah. the culture that way. Yeah, you model the behavior and you make sure that you are not in inadvertently incentivizing the wrong thing. Like you say you value a culture where everybody goes home, but then you promote the person who stays late, as yeah. for instance. Or you stay late. Right. That's the hardest one as a manager. And I do allow for some degree between A, as a business owner or a manager, there's going to be like different workloads. Right. Um, and, though, and the issue there is because you – to be competitive, sometimes it's sometimes required. I think you're creative if you don't over more creative thinking if you don't overdo it, and it does limit like then who can be step into management with that availability time. So, part of my problem is it just it's all trade offs. Like people talk like do this and this happens, and you're like, it's part of being a senior engineer. You learn where all the trade offs are. Where you're like, yes, <laughs> that encapsulation is great. It also has a cost. And doing it that other way that's quick and easy is, is the other alternative. It also has a cost. Yeah. Well, life and is that way, right? Yeah. I didn't totally take the time is. to exercise. I gained yeah. weight. I didn't take the time to plan to eat right. I gained weight. You know, you made that trade-off. Mm-hmm. It's like, and also the trade-off that's going to work for you, the strategy that's going to work for you it depends on where you are and your context. If right mm. now what you need is more encapsulation, then that's going to be awesome. But that, that next job, it might not be. Yeah. It's like I had this iron supplement and one time I was like low on iron and I took this iron supplement and it was awesome. I felt so much better. I mean, you could read reviews of, of uh, various vitamin supplements. This is the best thing. It totally gave me mm. more energy. Everyone should take this. No, everyone who's low on iron should take this. Yeah. You're kind of getting get nauseous, and there's a bunch of other stuff when you start doing too much of it. So, yeah, you're, yeah, exactly. Um, 
experience helps, obviously, the manager. So your first time around is the hardest time. But I don't know if we set up the culture where the managers go and learn more. And I think part of the problem is, is one of the diversities we are really bad about in this field is age. Like, particularly in the Bay Area, it's a super ageist field. And therefore, there's like a certain cap on the level of experience. So there's like a whole range of experiences that would be useful for some of these problems that we're sometimes just not even hearing. And uh, I've run a company. We're not perfect about any of these. Particularly when you're a small company, often you end up hiring your friends, and that has costs also. So I do not come at these sort of problems like from a holier-than-thou sort of place. But in a, hey, we're all human. We're all doing the best we can. We're making trade-offs as business owners, and we're trying to maximize like the success of our company and the, the long-term health for the people we work with. So if, if I can go back to something a little bit earlier, uh, we talked about, you know, uh, you, you mentioned companies that are, you know, run by clones, uh, people who are clones of each other uh, versus companies that are more diverse and uh, therefore more and also more welcoming. Um, and I feel like I really want to work in uh, the more diverse kind of company, but I often find myself in a company with much more of a monoculture. They have established engineering practices. They've, you know, they're... Uh, demographics are totally representative of programming overall. Um, and I feel like if I'm in one of those companies, I want to figure out how I can do everything I can to move us towards the other kind. But, you know, personally, I lack very effective strategies for doing that. So I'm wondering if there are any that you can share. It's easier to burn everything down and start over. <laughs> um, it's a really <laughs> So hard... I should quit is what you're saying. No, it's a really hard problem. Like once the longer you, you start yesterday and like is the first, like go back in time and found the company more diversely. Barring that, like <laughs> um, you just fight every, you read up on it. You like, you widen the pool of the network of people who, who you're, look, you're doing. You read up on hiring practices, as we were talking earlier about blinding resumes. You try to look at the biases of the social groups you hang in and how that affects like the candidates you're bringing in, and you try to diversify that. You do what I used to do a lot of, which is get really involved in the pipeline effort, both because you believe in it and because you want like a company that believes in those same values. You just you try to find some people who are willing to be those challenging first couple like people that are in that company willing to put up with the cost of helping fix the culture by being the first of whatever class. Um, it's a very hard role. You treasure how hard that role is and give that person room to grow and account for that. Um, and don't, yeah, I don't know. You, that's a thing where you might be better off talking to someone who has made that large change. Um, it feels like, like it, uh, I'm just going to jump in here. It feels like a lot of the things you're talking about, though, are still kind of they're, they're general strategies. You know, read more management books, mm. uh, talk to people who have done it before. Um, but are there specific, like, just basic first steps that are well, really I just, I clear that you can take? First steps, like go get involved in mentorship. Okay. I like I mean, these are not these are very specific things. Broaden the pool of who you listen to on Twitter. You can amazingly transform your experience of the news input by unfollowing everyone and following people based on a different set of things. Like friends go through the experience of unfollow everyone and only follow women in the field. Follow a lot more black Twitter and you'll get a different range of experiences. Like Twitter is this incredible thing for showing like the input, how radically you can change the input, media inputs you take in with little effort. 
and figure out, like, look at whatever group you socialize professionally in and notice where it's a monoculture and figure out where are ways to fix that. Can you make your group more inclusive? Can you go find yourself in more diverse spaces, which will possibly be uncomfortable? Like, everything I said, yeah, might be, like, a piece of a much larger thing, but they are, like, actual things you can do, because I know, because I've done a bunch of them. I think I think where my yeah. disconnect was, though, is that, you know, you're talking about, well, go diversify the, the people that you are listening to or talking to. And for me, it's like, okay, well, how, right? Because it's not obvious to me how to do that. And so then you're saying, you know, unfollow some of the people you're following on Twitter and then follow people using a different criteria. And it's like, oh, okay, now I get it. But yeah, in a lot of cases, there are blind spots there that people just don't see. Yep, we don't see them. And that's the reason you have to, like, go do the Harvard Implicit Study. Like, learn what your biases are and realize, go, just, it's like study and self-improvement, everything. Like, go read up on the fact that if someone does an analysis of the voices in this, that the, like... Women will have spoken significantly smaller percentage for the same equivalent of feeling like by most of the attendees feeling like the same amount of time. Like if women speak 30% of the time, people feel like it's equal. If they speak 50% of the time, people feel like the women spoke way more. Like we all have these biases because we live in the culture we do. They've been programmed in and we have to learn them and start unpacking them. Um, that's a personal journey, obviously, but it is one that reflects on your work and factors in in so many ways because we live in a field with such bad boundaries between personal and professional because we live integrated lives and like we're friends with the people we work with and we want to have this life where it's all, but it means that that if most of your friends are white, you're going to mostly hire white people. Like if... In enterprise, companies tend to do better than the startup space in diversity because they have practices around this. They require open listings. They have certain ways that avoid the tendency in smaller companies, and particularly startup space, to just hire all your friends. Um, and being a long-time Rubyist, I know it's a thing many of us did. We know if you've been doing Ruby a long time, you used to know everyone else that did it. So therefore, you, by definition, if you were hiring seniors, you'd be hiring your friends. Um, which excluded massive swaths of people. Since it has gotten popular over the years, it has definitely broadened the applicant pool so much that, no, of course, we don't all know each other anymore. What you had a quick yeah. suggestion. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Just uh, going back to like one tiny simple thing that you can do uh, to diversify your Twitter feed and, and uh, get some new information that you may not have if you're uh, a white dude in tech is follow Marco, Ro Marco Rogers. Uh, he's Polotech, P-O-L-O-T-E-K on Twitter. Um, and you, you got to follow him and more importantly, read and try to listen to and understand what he's trying to say. Um, he tweets a lot of stuff about tech and also black culture and how those things intersect. And uh, it's really Really, like if you had to follow just one person, that's the person I'd point to. And also when we do this, like don't turn these people into just teaching moments for white people or women into yes. culture men. And like particularly when we decide we need to dive into the discourse without having like followed a bunch of it. Like yeah. there's often moments where we're starting to learn where we're like, oh, thank you. I learned so much. And you step on that one. So like just in every way, like broaden the number of inputs for better decision making you can. It's sort of the core bit of all that whole thing. 
Um, read the people you really don't like. Just like it's usual sometimes read what Repu Republicans are saying if you're Democrat and vice versa. Um, if some of the angry internet feminists as they were, that, as people put it, <laughs> bug you, read them. Try to understand where they're coming from and why. Um, you may not, you don't have to agree with it, you don't have, but like sometimes there's reasons for some of that stuff. Yeah, and if someone's experiences don't, mm. ma don't match yours, that doesn't make them wrong, it yeah. makes them information. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, one of the things, though, given the current demographics of the field, if you decide that it is wise to diversify your, your company, particularly in the engineering field, you're going to have to figure out then how to train up juniors. Like we're not at a point where, because at this point, if you say, if you want to work on gender stuff, if you only hire senior women, you are shuffling around like where they work and how much, how much money they get perhaps, but it is not fundamentally changing the balance in the field. Um, so it's a little zero sum. For the sake of your company, obviously you care maybe a little less, but it's still just a smaller pool and competitive. So a lot of companies tackle this by hiring juniors. And I can't remember who it was, but some clothing company, let's say, who were really proud of having fixed some of their gender diversity stuff because they fixed some of their interviewing that allowed them to hire up a number of junior women. And then two years later, lost them all. And then like complained about, like people complain about the, the, the losing of juniors. I mean, retention, I think, honestly, is a much huger problem than the pipeline. That's a whole other podcast, though. But yeah, it's, it's true. Company. But when when we uh, when we get into this, like, I have yeah. people contact me and they're like, "Well, you have a podcast, so you probably know a whole bunch of people." And we're trying to hire senior developers, and I say, "Well, have you thought about training junior developers?" And that's what they say is that, "Well, after <laughs> a year or so, they're all going to leave anyway." That's well, maybe that says something about you. Yeah, and that's like you, almost everything. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm yeah. getting to. Is like this was there was a case study example. They actually got more than a year out of them, but you have to remember that from the the difference between someone with no field experience and a year experience is not a ten thousand dollar raise. You've trapped in your head of hey, I've invested in this you, and I think you're worth this much. You have through yes, like through some training and investment you put in, and maybe that gets loyalty, maybe that doesn't, you have made them incredibly more valuable, and you've set up a situation if you do not promote them and stop thinking of them as, oh, that junior we just like hired, for it to be impossible for them to keep working at your company, because why would they be able to afford to turn down a 30% raise when they were probably not affording to live in the city you hired them to live in because you hired them as a junior? Like I've seen enough of the junior salaries that junior engineers in San Francisco are often scraping by. They are investing in themselves and, hey, if I get a couple years in this field, I will be far better off. And so they, even if they wanted to, sometimes they literally couldn't hang around and turn down this better offer. Um, turns out if you promote them and make a path, like the middle career part is where it gets hard anyways, but if you make a path or advancement through there and like give them a road and give them commiserate uh, uh, promotions of what they would do otherwise, um, they're a lot less likely to leave. I completely it, agree. And in fact, it usually prompts me to say something that's rather unsympathetic that boils down to, well, then pay them what they're worth so they won't leave. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, yeah. Nice one, Sam. Cognitive bias anchoring. Yeah. They're stuck in your head at a certain position, and like it's hard to break loose those assumptions. 
Mm-hmm. Yep. Also, if you hire a whole bunch of women in or- as juniors in order to balance your diversity, mm. then you're increasing the women as beginners trope. Yes. And it's yes. hard for any of those women to be considered yes. senior because they're women. And That's, like, yeah, I was going to get around to like all the things that go wrong with this. Um, the company I'm thinking of simultaneously is considering all the women. They hire juniors and not giving them an advancement track, replace the woman founder with her co-founder, the, her husband is the CEO, which was probably bad signaling at the time some of these cultural things were going on, and so they lost them all to GitHub. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting that you bring that up because you've kind of implied, you know, it it probably wasn't the right move. It could have been the right move if, you know, if there the were fallout. issues. But the fallout. It, the fallout, yeah, the fallout. The message you sent, whether it was the right move or not, was not the message you wanted to Well, send. I would also say the follow-through. Like, you have to be – it's a catch-22, like – but you certainly, if you're going down this road, like, and, and then you fail to follow through, that, then, well, I meant, on the other hand, here's some people that got, like, their first good job and bootstrap into that. It might speak, if you were nice enough about it, it might speak well of you. Usually, in my experience, if you've given someone opportunities and they speak poorly of you, you really screwed things up thoroughly over time. Yeah. <laughs> Like, even if someone decides they can't take this new opportunity, usually they'll be super happy and, like, refer you as, like, an employer forever down the road. Um, If they're bitter about it, wow, did you, like, fail to gather some signals about what was going on. I think that's really, really true. Mm -hmm. And, like, I'm thrilled. I mean, I'm always sad to lose someone, but I'm thrilled when someone goes on to, like, a new opportunity that's a different thing that they're doing that they get to explore stuff, and maybe they'll come back work for us in a couple of years. Maybe they'll be somewhere else and refer us work. Like, we're the, we are a friendly field, and there, as I said, are costs to that, but this, particularly in the Bay Area, like, I have had people that were a boss who later became a client, who later became an employee. Like, it's a very small town, and you should treat everyone very well and see see how it works out when it comes around. Yeah. Um, point being, though, yeah, I don't think that they made the mistake of trying to... I think maybe if they only hired women as juniors, that might be a problem. I think if they loosened up and improved... Not loosened up, but if they improved their bad filters on who they could hire and train and therefore increase their diversity and had the follow-through and culture to like make good use of those people, it would have been a much different story. Like it wasn't, it wasn't doomed to go down that road. And that's my issue when people don't realize why they're losing the people they are, and that's the, the, the canaries. Like you don't, you don't say, well, canaries are annoying. They always die when your canary in the gold mine keeps dying. <laughs> and that's kind of what we do in our field. We're like, yeah, I can't afford canaries. They keep dying. They spend all this money on them, and then they don't last. Um, supposed to be a signal that you could fix stuff. Right. Well, not only that, but if your canaries keep dying, you may want to look at why your miners keep dying too. <laughs> yeah, and it'll take longer often, but eventually you yeah. sometimes will lose people in a giant swath because the people that took longer to notice that they didn't like how things were going sometimes tend to get really all frustrated all at once. Mm-hmm. So take the signal and like improve your culture and be then like get it's wonderful to have people have been so excited to work with you that they refer other people to work for you. It does radically change your recruitment game. 
Yeah, I'd also point out that uh, if they all leave at once, I have to say that um, it's been pretty rare when I worked at a company where there weren't one or two people that left, you know, more than one or two people that left at the same time. Mm -hmm. They didn't all talk to each other. They weren't all friends. And yep. the whole company, mm -hmm. except for maybe management, didn't know why they were leaving. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and I mean, that's a hit on morale all around and there's all sorts of problem with that. Like, yeah, if you think, if you think it's expensive losing like junior people lose senior people that are the backbone of your company, yeah. who know, where like all of the things work, how they work. Like, and why and, they work that way. Yeah. Like a company, it's employees really are. It's, it's the, the best, most valuable part of the company. And yeah, I don't, I'm always sad when someone like resigns or move on at the same time as it being excited for them. But yeah, multiples at a time would be rough. Yep. All right. Well, Dr. I'm going to made of humans. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to be a horrible person and push us into picks because I have a call in about 15 minutes. So okay. push us into what picks. So pictures. So picks are. It's kind of oh, the pick of the pick. week. Yeah. P I C K. That yeah. thing that since the, the how we scheduled this worked out, I didn't quite have them uh, uh, thought of ahead of time. That's okay. We usually have the panelists pick first, so yeah, you have a few minutes. Uh, Sam, do you have some picks for us? Yes, actually, I just have one pick today, and that is Mandy Moore. Um, as our longtime <laughs> listeners know, Mandy has been editing and coordinating the show since I think sometime in the first year. Is that right, Chuck? It was right uh, around six months in, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So quite a long time. Um, basically, she's been making the rogues uh, all sound considerably smarter than we probably deserve to. Um, anyway, uh, Chuck has recently switched to a different company for that stuff, which means, uh, listeners, that Mandy has some extra capacity. Um, she does podcast and screenca screencast production, uh, as well as the usual virtual assistant work and uh, event organization and research and so on. Uh, you can check her out at devreps.com. Yeah, I'm just going to plus one that. Mandy has been terrific. Um, there were some things that I had to figure out, um, both financially and business-wise, that made me switch. But it wasn't anything that Mandy did. It was actually just um, where I was at and, and what it was going to take to keep the podcast going. So, so yeah, I definitely recommend Mandy. Um, and I'm just going to reiterate, devreps.com if you need any kind of uh, virtual assistant, podcast editing, anything like that. She does a terrific job. Uh, Jessica, what are your picks? Oh, I got a good book in the mail the other day. I don't know who bought it for me, whether it was a gift from another person or from past me. But I have uh, Carolyn Yoachim's Yoachim, Y-O-A-C-H-I-M, Seven Wonders of a Once and Future World. And it's short sci-fi or fantasy or, no, it's just short stories. And each of them is like a, a super condensed word, the world building. And since my favorite part of all the sci-fi fantasy books is the world building, and I get bored with the sequels really fast, this is awesome. Lots of worlds in just a few pages. That's my pick today. Nice. All right, I've got a couple of things to pick here. Uh, the first one is we got a foreign exchange student last week, and it has been a ton of fun. So if you're uh, thinking about it, trying to figure out if that's something for you, um, it's we, we've had a lot of fun. Uh, we got a 17-year-old girl from Italy, and uh, it's kind of fun for me because I lived in Italy for two years, um, but it's also fun for the kids. They've had a good time just 
playing with her, uh, playing games with her. She's also met some of the neighbor teenagers because my kids, my oldest is 10, and she's been enjoying a lot of that as well. So, um, yeah, if you're if you're looking for something that adds a little bit of uh, something interesting and fun to your life, I think is the best way to put it, then definitely check that out. Um, I had another pick, and I just can't think of it. So I guess I'll I'll punt. Kenzie, what are your picks? Um, since sci-fi came up, I always like plugging Octavia Butler is one of my my favorite sci-fi authors. Particularly if you want to get something a little outside of the same white male viewpoint that you often do in a big swath of sci-fi. Um, let's see, Black Girls Code, one of my favorite programs you could donate to. Uh, obviously, since Andre works for us, we also like uh, Ruby Together. If you wanted to donate and give back to the infrastructure and work that goes into making the Rails apps we all use work. Well, I think those are my picks off the top of my head. Awesome. If people want to know more about Cloud City or about anything else you're involved in, what should they do? Um, they should. Well, they could look at our website and learn more, but they can just send me an email at k-e-n-z-i at cloudcity.io or follow me, find us on Twitter, cloudcity.io or just me, k-n-z-c-o-n-n-o-r k-n-z Connor Alright Well thank you for coming This was a lot of fun um, Thanks for having me Yeah, we'll go ahead and wrap this up and we'll catch you all next week Happy hacking